the future political kingdom in the teaching of Jesus. A number of critically important sayings of Jesus have not received the attention they deserve. These are verses which demonstrate that Jesus was very much conscious of the political nature of the kingdom, which as Messiah, he was destined to administer upon his return at the end of the age. Anyone claiming to be the promised son of David could not have failed to be impressed by the fundamental importance of the covenant made with David, described in 2 Samuel 7, the parallel in 1 Chronicles 17. The importance of this covenant is seen in the reference to it in Psalm 72 and Luke 1 verses 32 and 33. As is well known, this covenant formed the basis of God's promise to bring about peace on earth through his chosen king. This divine intervention is vividly described in the Psalms, especially Psalm 2 and 10. Both the Qumran community and the Christians saw the application of 2 Samuel 7, 14 to the promised deliverer. And we can compare Hebrews 1, 5 and Luke 1, 32 and 33. It was widely recognized from a reading of the Hebrew scriptures that the glory of David's kingdom would eventually be restored to Israel with benefits for the whole world when the Messiah entered upon his reign. Thus it was that prominent disciples of Jesus were eagerly awaiting the consolation of Israel, not only before Jesus' birth, but after he had completed his brief ministry in Palestine. The national expectation of the messianic reign remains central to the Christian records. The righteous and devout Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him in Luke 2.25. Anna the prophetess, commended by Luke for her exceptional devotion to God, was, quote, looking for the redemption of Jerusalem in Luke 2.38. Joseph of Arimathea, whom Matthew describes as a disciple of Jesus in Matthew 27.57, was, quote, a good and honorable man who was waiting for the kingdom of God, Luke 23, verses 50 and 51. This was after Jesus' death. He evidently did not believe the kingdom had come with the ministry of Jesus, even though certainly the records describe his ministry as an anticipation of the kingdom, Matthew 11, verse 5. Likewise, the thief on the cross recognized the certainty of the future coming of the kingdom when he pleaded with Jesus for a part in it. Remember me when you come into, that is, to inaugurate your kingdom, Luke 23, verse 42. Precisely the same enthusiasm for the kingdom and the gospel had prompted the request by the mother of James and John on behalf of her children. Her petition reveals the biblical Christian idea of the messianic kingdom, and Jesus did nothing at all to disturb her understanding of the kind of kingdom this would be. Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and one on your left. Matthew 20, verse 21. The kingdom she had in mind was certainly not limited to a kingdom in the heart. Jesus' reply confirmed that the honor of sitting in a principal place in the future kingdom was reserved, quote, for those for whom it has been prepared. Mark 10, verse 40. 
Moreover, he added that greatness in the coming kingdom of God is for those who first accept the role of a servant as he himself had done. Mark 10, verses 42 to 45, and compare Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. There is no question in Jesus' mind about the nature of the future kingdom, nor about status in it. The disciples were not rebuked for any misunderstanding about the fact of a future kingdom in which positions could be held. They needed only to learn that the path to greatness lay through humility, suffering, and servanthood. The question of the Christian girl is immensely important in the records of Jesus' teaching. The apostles were instructed by Jesus to recognize the promised messianic kingdom as the heart of the new covenant. For them, the supreme objective of the Christian life was to assist the Messiah in the administration of his kingdom. At the Last Supper, he said to them, I covenant with you, just as my Father has covenanted with me, to grant you a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones administering the twelve tribes of Israel. That's in Luke 22, verses 29 and 30. Only a few moments earlier, Jesus had said that he would not drink the wine of the Passover with them again until the Passover would be, until the kingdom of God comes. Luke 22, verses 16 and 18. Then they would eat and drink in his presence, reunited with him as executives of the kingdom. This glorious occasion was to be, quote, in the new age, literally when the world is reborn, when the Son of Man sits on his throne of glory, Matthew 19, 28. The apostles were in no doubt about when this would be, for Jesus also said, when the Son of Man comes, then he will sit on his throne of glory, Matthew 25, 31. The implications of all this are clear for all to read. The kingdom inaugurated by the return of Christ at the beginning of the new age, there will be thrones and government over the 12 tribes regathered in the land, and there will be fellowship with Jesus in that new age, fellowship not to be renewed until the kingdom comes, Luke 22, verse 18. While this information about the kingdom of God forms the framework of all that Jesus taught, how far does it play any part at all in what we have come to call Christianity?